0: Once upon a time, there was a prominent citizen of Cyprus by the name of Barnabas. When Barnabas became a Christian, he devoted his goods as well as his life to Jesus. Barnabas had a nephew by the name of John Mark. His mother, probably the sister of Barnabas, was a woman by the name of Mary you remember when Peter was in prison, Herod had put him there, and the people the church met to pray for Peter while he was in prison? Well, it was at Mary's home that they had that prayer meeting. And when Peter was actually released from prison, it was to her wealthy home that he went. When Saul of Tarsus had become a Christian, And Saul wanted to place membership with the church at Jerusalem. It was Barnabas who vouched for Saul's character with the Jerusalem church. Barnabas and Paul made a trip on behalf of the poor saints at Jerusalem. And when they returned to Antioch, they were accompanied by John Mark. Well, it was then that the church at Antioch decided to send Paul and Barnabas out preaching the gospel. And when they went on that first missionary trip, they took John Mark with them. He accompanied them to the island of Cyprus. He accompanied them across the sea to Perga. And then we come to a very brief statement that Dr. Luke gives us in Acts chapter 13. He tells us that John left them and he returned to Jerusalem. From the attitude that Paul later takes toward John Mark, there was no good excuse for Mark to turn back from that trip. And yet Dr. Luke is silent as to what his reasoning was. And since Dr. Luke is silent concerning his reasons for turning back, I like to think that maybe the young man Mark got a little bit homesick. That maybe with all the hardships of that missionary journey, he started thinking about that good bed he had back home. He started thinking about mama's biscuits and mama's chicken fried steak and cream gravy with some mashed potatoes. And he got more and more homesick. He thought about those home-cooked meals he'd enjoyed. Well, then again, maybe young John Mark's zeal for adventure had just worn off. Maybe, Maybe the whole enterprise had gotten distasteful to him. Well, then again, you know, this was long before Dramamine had ever been invented and maybe he got seasick on the voyage from Cyprus. Or maybe it was all those insects and he contracted malaria. Or maybe he took a long look at those grim, foreboding Taurus mountains. Or maybe he had heard the rumors of the brigands and the robber bands that came along those mountains. You see... Paul was getting into some difficult and dangerous territory. Paul and Barnabas were beginning to get into some of that territory Paul would later write about when he would th- talk about things he called in perils of waters and robbers and by mine own countrymen and by the heathen in the, in the city and the wilderness the sea and among false brethren. All those perils Paul writes about in the 11th chapter of the 2nd Corinthian letter. Maybe. I don't know. But just maybe Mark saw what was coming. And maybe Mark just didn't have the stuff in him to face it. Maybe Mark just didn't have the stuff in him to endure it. Whatever the reason was, he left the elderly Barnabas and the frail Paul to climb those mountain passes all alone. He left them to go by themselves. And all by himself, he took the first ship to go back home. Well, the time comes that Paul and Barnabas are planning their next journey. The Jerusalem Council on Circumcision has ended. And Paul and Barnabas are planning a second trip. They're going to go back and and revisit the churches they planted on that missionary journey. And Barnabas says, well, let's take John Mark with us again. Paul didn't think so. Paul didn't think it was wise to take this young man that had deserted them on the first missionary journey with them again. And so what that led to was a very sad dispute between these two great Christian soldiers. A very sad dispute between Paul and Barnabas. Luke tells us that there was a sharp contention between them. Sharp contention is King James English, for they had a big old row over it. In fact, it was such a sharp contention, it led to the separation of those two great Christian workers. Paul took Silas, and Paul headed northward and went into Tarsus. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. And yet, this is a very different journey for Mark. Paul had been with them on that previous journey. But now they're without Paul. You see, Paul regarded Mark as a quitter. Paul regarded Mark as a coward. Paul considered Mark to be a deserter that wasn't fit to go with them on that great journey into Asia. And that's the last we see of John Mark for quite some time. Because you see at that point, he's the man who failed. And failed about as miserably as anyone could fail. You know, folks will forgive almost any fault. And folks will forgive almost any weakness. Except that of cowardice. And yet, that's the charge that's leveled against Mark. The bravest soul the world has ever known, the great Apostle Paul, told Mark he wasn't fit to go with them. But you know what's beautiful about that? That's not the end of the story of Mark. If that was the end of the story and that was all there was for us to tell about Mark, then he wouldn't be worth our time this morning. But there is one reason that I find John Mark to be a very interesting individual. If God can use men like Mark and Peter, Men with the kind of flaws that Mark and Peter have. If God can use them, then God can find a place for flawed men in His kingdom like me. And He can also find a place of usefulness for you. You see, the next time we read of John Mark and hear anything about him, he's in the company of another of the apostles Peter, in his very first epistle, Peter sends a message to Christians that are persecuted and Christians that are scattered all over the world. And he tells them, he says, the church that's at Babylon salutes you. You see, that's probably the name that Peter had given to Rome. And he adds something else. He said, the church that's at Babylon salutes you, my son Marcus also. Salutes you. By that point, by the time Peter is writing his first letter, Mark has redeemed himself and Mark has so approved himself in the eyes of Peter that he was with him. He was his companion and he was his friend. And just as Paul refers to Timothy as his son in the gospel, Peter refers to Mark as his son. And so there is evidently complete confidence and a deep abiding affection in the relationship that Peter has with John Mark. And the next mention of Mark is also from Rome. But guess what? He's not with Peter this time. He's with Paul. In the letter that Paul writes to the church at Colossae, he sends this greeting in chapter 4 and verse 10 Aristarchus my fellow prisoner salutes you and Marcus sister's son to Barnabas Paul goes on to tell the churches of Colossae if Mark comes to them if Mark comes to you you are to receive him by that point by the time Paul writes the letters to the church, the letter to the churches at Colossae, Mark has completely redeemed himself and he's completely reestablished himself in the opinion of Paul. The implication is this. Mark's history, Mark's reputation as a coward and a deserter and a quitter has gone before him in the church. And Paul, writing this letter, he says, I know that you've known of him as a quitter and a coward and a deserter, but I don't want you to take that reputation. Paul wants to make sure that they will not hold against him what he has done in the past. And then again, at the end of his letter to Philemon, Paul sends to Philemon the greetings of Mark. Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, and he calls them his fellow laborers. But to me, the most thrilling and the most moving mention of Mark is in Paul's last letter in our text this morning. 2 Timothy was written not long before Paul's death. He's writing that letter from a cold, damp, dark prison dungeon. It's quite possible that the letter was actually penned by the hand of Luke, his personal physician. And it was written to his son in the gospel, young, timid Timothy at faraway Ephesus. And Paul writes to him in chapter 4 and he says, I want you to bring my... Cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, and I want you to bring my books, and I want you to bring my parchments, and sea navigation on the Mediterranean can come become treacherous in the winter months. So do thy diligence, Timothy, he says, to come before winter. And as the letter continues, he tells about Demas. One he had mentioned as a fellow worker at the end of his letter to Philemon. And he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And he says, Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus is in Dalmatia. They're all preaching in other places, and only Luke is with me. And then Paul, he's asked for his books, he's asked for his cloak, he's asked for his parchments. And he adds, one more request. There's one friend he wants to have with him in these last hours. There's one more of his friends he wants to be there. Who is it? Is it Onesimus? The one he'd rescued from sin and shame? <clears throat> is it Aristarchus or Silas? The companion of his journeys. Is it Priscilla and Aquila? No. No. He says to Timothy, Take Mark and bring him. For he is profitable to me for the ministry. He says, Timothy, I want Mark. I want the man that deserted me at Perga and left me to climb the mountains alone. I want Mark the quitter and the coward." I want Mark, the one who caused the separation between me and Barnabas. I want you to bring Mark. Why, Paul? Because Mark is profitable to me for the ministry. The unprofitable has now become profitable. The coward has become courageous. Mark, who started so poorly, has made a grand finish. He took his first chance and he threw it completely away, but he's made the most of his second chance. The man who is first mentioned that is a deserter and a coward is the man that Paul wants with him as he faces death at the hands of Nero. He wants the man of weakness and cowardice, the one who wrote the second gospel. What was involved in this remarkable recovery that Mark made? There was his own determination. Mark was determined to make good where he had failed. You know, when some folks are rebuked, they have a completely different attitude than what Mark did. Paul rebuked Mark. Paul rebuked him severely for his weakness and his failure. Paul even refused to let him go with them on that second missionary journey. You know, with some folks, the result of that kind of stinging rebuke would have been an attitude of defiance, an attitude of anger. But rather than defiance and anger, it was exactly the opposite With Mark. Mark wasn't angry with Paul. And Mark didn't abandon Christianity because of it. Mark resolved in his heart that he would show Paul that he could make a man out of himself. There was another thing that brought about Mark's recovery and his restoration. And that was the kindness and the sympathy of Peter. And you know, that's not something we ought to find strange. And that's not something we ought to find out of the ordinary. Peter could look back on a similar dark time in his own life, couldn't he? Peter could look back to that night that Jesus was on trial and He stood there warming Himself and someone said, You're one of those. Oh no, I'm not. And a little later, someone said, you you were with him. I wasn't. No, 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 I'm not one of them. And a little later, somebody said, yeah, your speech betrays you. You're one of those Galileans. I am not. And he started cursing and swearing. Do you remember what happened? At that moment, he looked up and he saw Jesus looking at him. Peter could remember that Dark and bitter night that he had denied Jesus. That night he had gone out and wept bitter tears over it. That night he had failed Jesus so terribly in his hour of need. And you know what? Because of his own failure, Peter could find in his heart sympathy for Mark. And at the same time, Paul needs to receive some credit for Mark's restoration and Mark's growth. A lesser man than Paul would have never been reconciled to one who deserted him in the hour of need as Mark had done at Perga. But you see, with Paul, it wasn't a matter of personal feeling. It was a matter of principle. The moment that Mark proved he could do better, and the moment that Mark proved that he wanted to do better, you know what Paul was ready to do? Paul was ready to give him a second chance. You remember, it was Paul who wrote these beautiful words in Galatians 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual... Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Are you listening to it? Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Guess what Paul did in the case of Mark? He did something we 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 oftentimes don't do. He practiced what he preached. He told Mark that all had been forgiven. And he told Mark that all would be forgotten. Personally, I find something quite heartwarming in what Paul wrote to Timothy. When he said, take Mark and bring him to me. He's profitable to me in the ministry. And that's not the most wonderful part of the story. The resolve of Mark is wonderful. The love and sympathy of Peter is fantastic. And the forgiveness of Paul is touching. But do you know the most wonderful part of the story? The most wonderful part of the story is the love and the grace of God. Because it was it's the love of God and God's beautiful forgiveness. Because it was that love and that grace of forgiveness that brought Mark from a place of failure and sin to a place of usefulness and honor. I think all of us, if we're honest with ourselves and honest before God, I think all of us are Conscious from time to time of our failures, and we're conscious of our weaknesses. And I think if we're honest, we can recall deep and tragic failures we've made. Times we've failed ourselves, times we've failed our friends, times we've failed our families, times we've failed God because we haven't given God our very best. Well, guess what? We can read the story of Mark. And we can remember the story of Mark. And we can take heart once more. When we have failed and we have been unprofitable, we can come back and we can succeed and we can be profitable once more. Now, here's the question. Have you ever given Jesus your life? Have you ever said to Jesus Christ, Lord, I believe in You. And coming to You, Lord, I want to repent of everything that's sin in my life. I want to confess Your name and I want to be baptized for the remission of past sins. If you've never done that, I'd beg you to do it. And maybe you've done that. But like Mark, you haven't lived God's kind of life or you've been unprofitable. You've failed. And you need to come back home. And let brothers and sisters pray with you and for you. If there's some change you need to make in your life this morning to be profitable for God once more, it's His invitation as we stand and while we sing.